The Guardian. I'm John Dennis. Today, George Osborne's spending watchdog quits amid claims that the new Office for Budget Responsibility wasn't as independent as the Chancellor said. The Office of Budget Responsibility was was suddenly made to look like it was a poodle of, of the Treasury, which is precisely what Osborne had been trying to, to avoid by setting it up. Also today, David Cameron has announced details of an inquiry into the complicity of British security services in the torture of terror suspects. It's a unique time, really, for MI5 and MI6. I mean, they've been on the spotlight quite a bit because of this running sore, really, and the, the, the allegations against their involvement in, in torture. We visit this year's Serpentine Pavilion with the architect Jean Nouvel. I like to play with the red glass, with the red mirrors, with the sun through the materiality to see the red sun. And we look ahead to tomorrow's World Cup semi-final between Germany and Spain. In Germany people are very proud of this team because they've never had a team like that that goes quite so far in entertaining and, uh, and, and making German football likeable. From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. First, our top story. Sir Alan Budd is stepping down as George Osborne's spending watchdog after just three months. Last week, the new Office for Budget Responsibility was accused of being a political fig leaf when it released job statistics favourable to the coalition government just hours before David Cameron was due to defend the government's plans at Prime Minister's questions. This morning, the Office of Budget Responsibility produced the full tables for the budget for employment in the public and the private sector. This is something that never happened under a Labour government, right? As shown in the budget, unemployment is forecast to fall every year under this government, but it also does show public sector employment. And what's interesting from the tables is you can see the effect of Labour's policy before the budget, and you can see the effect of our policy after the budget. What the figures show is that under Labour's plans, next year there will be 70,000 fewer public sector jobs. And the year after that, there will be 150,000 fewer public sector jobs. The reason is we've had the courage to have a two-year pay freeze. I know we've all been watching the football, but that's a spectacular own goal. Harriet Harman. Mr Speaker, I know he's published some new figures today, but it's the figures that he's not published that I'm asking about. The figures that say that 1.3 million jobs will be lost. Why won't the Prime Minister publish these Treasury, treasury documents? Why is he keeping them hidden? Yes. The, the forecasts that are published now are independent from the government. That is the whole point. That is, that is, it's no good, honourable members, chuntering about this. They now support the Office of Budget Responsibility, completely independent of government. Our Head of Business, Dan Roberts, says Alan Budd's resignation is a surprise. This is the first big shock departure from Osborne's team, or I suppose second if you count David Laws. But this is much more significant because it goes to the heart of what Osborne um, was trying to do, which was to depoliticise 
economic policymaking, always quite a big aspiration, quite a quite ambitious goal, and one which really fell at the first hurdle when this paper last week produced leaked Treasury documents um, looking at unemployment forecasts. And the Office of Budget Responsibility, which is meant to be entirely politically neutral, was encouraged, shall we say, to bring forward its own estimates to try and defend the government. Now, it didn't uh, it didn't work very much because actually they confirmed largely our figures. But the, what really the lasting legacy of that was that um, the Office of Budget Responsibility was, was suddenly made to look like it was a poodle of, of the Treasury, which is precisely what Osborne had been trying to to avoid by setting it up. How embarrassing is Bud's resignation for George Osborne? I think usually the Treasury is desperately running around today saying, oh, well, he was only going to stay a few weeks. He's on three-month contract. You know, he's 73. There's even a bit of quite nasty slurring going on some of the right-wing blogs saying, you know, um, well, you know, he didn't really have the heart for it. He prefers an easy life in the city. I think these are way wider than Mark. This is a man who, uh, whatever one might say about his uh, political leanings, um, is a, has been been a fantastic um, public servant in his career and is it has a very high regard and reputation in economic circles for being a man of integrity and it, it looks to, to us as if he was deeply uncomfortable with the way his office was used last week and has said look I want no part of this. What questions will the Treasury Select Committee now be asking about the way the office was set up? Well when it gets round to asking them and this is another thing that was um, slipped out quietly yesterday is that the Treasury Select Committee has been very slow to appoint its new members and won't have be able to grill Osborne on his budget before the second reading of the finance bill. It has said, though, that it will grill the OBR. Whether or not it calls Bud or whether it has to call his successor, we, we don't know yet. But um, I think it'll want to know quite a few things. Not only is it politically independent. I mean, this is a body that sort of sits in the Treasury, largely staffed by Treasury people, and appears to be told what to do by the Treasury. Um, but it'll also be asking questions about its economic competence. I mean, it was meant to be a body that would be extremely conservative and cautious in its assumptions so that it would get widespread acceptance even by opposition parties and wouldn't be called into question. And yet, on the first big question, which is how damaging will this budget be to the economy, it's way out on a limb. I mean, it was suggesting last week that there'd be 2 million new private sector jobs created over the next few years. There's almost no private sector economist that is that bullish on the um, on, on the jobs front. And um, one has to say that it's not just political uh, credibility that's been called into question, it's this economic credibility that's in question. So George Osborne did create a rod for his own back, but not in the way that he uh, anticipated. Yes, I think you have to contrast it with the way the MPC was set up, the Monetary Policy Committee was set up by Brown, with a similar intent to distance monetary policy from government, like the setting of interest rates. And they bent over backwards to be awkward to Brown. They were determined that they would stick to their own agenda on dates they were going to publish publish information. And it largely worked. There was very little criticism from the opposition party, from the, the, the Tories at the time, who quickly recognised that it was a genuinely independent body. And you would have thought if the OBR had been smarter, uh, or if Bud perhaps had been given more freedom to do it the way he wanted to do it, it would have bent over backwards to be a bit more awkward for Osborne to look less compliant and um, and perhaps that's ultimately the mistake it, it's not independence that matters it's appearances of independence if people don't think you're independent you're not doing your job Dan Roberts and there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash business Germany's stylish performances in this summer's World Cup have made the global audience sit up and take notice not least in England our national team was comprehensively outplayed in the second round of the tournament As the German team prepare to take on the favourites, Spain, in tomorrow's semi-final, let's find out how important this is to the German people. In a moment, we'll hear from Boris Herrmann of the Berliner Zeitung, 
But first, here's the Guardian's German football correspondent, Raphael Honigstein. I think it could be a very big moment for Germany because in 2006 they showed a likeable face to the world. It was in Germany and people came away from the World Cup with different opinions, both about German football and about Germany as a country. Now it's almost the next step in a way because the way that Germany have played, uh, not just the star but also the, the success of their football has you know, has caught the attention and has caught also the imag imagination of many people. In Germany, in Germany, people are very proud of this team because they've never had a team like that that goes quite so far in entertaining and uh, and, and making German football likable and, and as, as an extension, making Germany more likable. And I think it does go to the root of um, a psychological need that many Germans have had or still continue to have after the war, which is to be liked. It's difficult to, to still say Germany are the underdogs because they've played so well against uh, England and Argentina and also the stage is set for another counter-attacking performance against the Spanish side. You can only play one way. I think that, that is something that would go in Germany's favour. And the other thing they've done very well is drill-specific attack moves, which is something that a lot of national managers don't bother with because they think, you know, we've got the best players, they'll figure it out. But Löw has has taken them and basically trained them like a club side and that's where you see the dividends. So I would personally still make them small underdogs because I think Spain as a team function a little bit better, uh, have better individuals and also have been playing longer together. But there's very little in between these two teams. Of course being young helps as well. I mean Müller, you could see him on the pitch but also off it when you talk to him, just doesn't care basically. He enjoys it and He'll never for one second think about failure because he's still happy that he's actually involved. You know, a year ago he was playing in front of 50 men and their dogs. So to come to the World Cup is, for him already, is an achievement. And then, then I think it comes to down to team ethic and to tactics. I mean, Müller was asked by an English uh, journal why England had failed. And the first explanation he found was that Germany had a better team ethic. People were more prepared to run for each other, less egos. And perhaps that goes into it as well. My name is uh, Boris Hermann. I work for the Berlin-based newspaper Berliner Zeitung in Germany. I think everyone is surprised uh, uh, of what this German team is, is doing here at the World Cup. Um, there was big pessimism in Germany um, b before this World Cup began and that it turns out now that it's probably the best German team since... Jesus Christ, um, it's, it's really surprising. Spain is absolutely a different team from uh, England or Argentina. Spain has been the best team in the last three or four years. Uh, they probably they didn't play as astonishing as they used to play two years ago at the European Championship so far, but they won their matches um, and they, even if they are they are tight, they, at the right moment they are, they are there and I don't really think that uh, this team is comparable to England or Argentina. It's uh, on the other hand comparable to the German team because what actually happened the last two years in Germany is that Germans and their coach Jogi Löw lost the um, European Cup final two years ago and they knew from that point that they'd have to, you know, be a copy of that Spanish team and that's what uh, Yogi Löw was working on for the last two years so I think this is like big Spain against small Spain. My name's John Dennis, you're listening to Guardian Daily. Guardian Daily.
from guardian.co.uk. Allegations of British complicity in the torture of terror suspects are to be the subject of an independent inquiry announced by David Cameron today. The Prime Minister told the House of Commons why an inquiry was necessary. Mr Speaker, while there is no evidence that any British officer was directly engaged in torture in the aftermath of 9-11, there are questions over the degree to which British officers were working with foreign security services who were treating detainees in ways they should not have done. About a dozen cases have been brought in court about the actions of UK personnel, including, for example, that since 9-11 they may have witnessed mistreatment such as the use of hoods and shackles. This has led to accusations that Britain may have been complicit in the mistreatment of detainees. The longer these questions remain unanswered, the bigger the stain on our reputation as a country that believes in freedom and fairness and human rights. That's why I'm determined to get to the bottom of what happened. The intelligence services also are keen publicly to establish their principles and their integrity. So we will have a single authoritative examination of all these issues. We cannot start that inquiry while criminal investigations are ongoing. And it's it's not feasible to start it when there are so many civil lawsuits that remain unresolved. So we want to do everything we can to help that process along. That is why we are committed to mediation with those who've brought civil claims about their detention in Guantanamo. And wherever appropriate, we will offer compensation. As soon as we've made enough progress, an independent inquiry led by a judge will be held. The inquiry will be chaired by the former Appeal Court judge Sir Peter Gibson, and it'll start its work this year and report within 12 months. The Guardian's security editor, Richard Norton Taylor, explained the timing of the announcement. It was triggered, his decision was triggered by a lot of evidence coming out, especially in the courts of MI5 and certainly MI6 involvement in allegations of uh, mistreatment and torture of British citizens and British residents abroad, notably in a case uh, involving a British resident, Ethiopian-born Binya Mohammed, a case which has been running on for a very, very long time, but also by another case where six British residents and uh, citizens were detained in Guantanamo Bay, and they claim, with the knowledge of uh, British security intelligence, they want evidence about that for their compensation claim now. Does this inquiry go far enough? The key thing about the inquiry is it pretty certain is going to be mainly in private and other things about it which which uh, will certainly be criticised, I think. One is that uh, it will not call any uh, foreigners, it won't call any American intelligence officers, uh, so they won't get the full picture, really, of uh, British involvement in, in the abuse of detainees. And ministers won't, pr- former ministers will not be obliged to also to give evidence to inquiry, because a lot of people, including Nick Clegg, actually, now the Deputy Prime Minister, of course, when he was in opposition, uh, said that previous uh, Labour ministers, including Blair, by implication, were involved, knew about this policy of British uh, complicity in, in, in torture and abuse of detainees. And could be embarrassing for David Miliband, the Labour leadership contender. It could be, because he was involved in this particular case of Binya Mohammed. He was one of the defendants, actually, and insisting on, on one thing as well, one particular thing, that you cannot reveal any information that Britain got from a foreign intelligence agency, in this case CIA information. And that's another thing which is interesting announced today, and that's going to be a green paper leading to statute, a law, preventing any information from foreign intelligence agencies ever appearing in any court case in Britain in the future. 
So the extent to which today's announcement represents a break with the stance of the previous government, only so much so, really. Only so much so. I mean, Cameron is very good. We, not to compare it too much with the bloody Sunday inquiry, but if we remember, he was Cameron sounded very well. And this is this is the past. This is the past. Well, part of the proof, anyway, will be in the in how much this inquiry will be able to clear up what has gone wrong and why. But it's a, it's a unique time, really, for MI5 and MI6. I mean, they've been on the spotlight quite a bit because of this running saw, really, in the in the, in the allegations against their involvement in in torture. Richard Norton Taylor. This year's Serpentine Pavilion in London's Hyde Park has been unveiled. It's designed by the French architect Jean Nouvel and it's very red. The Guardian's architecture critic Jonathan Glancy asked Nouvel if it was in some ways a challenge to the park. Yeah, but you know, sometimes red is a very Londonian colour uh, with, uh, with buses, with... Uh telephone cabin and so on. For me, red belongs belongs also to London. But I wanted here to have something uh, to create a very optimistic moment. Uh, the feast of the uh, of the of the summer. Of the we have to feast the feast the sun and the summer. And uh, uh, so it's uh, of course it's something uh, uh, completely. Uh, Écarlate, uh, scarlet, scarlet, yeah. scarlet in the in the green. So uh, I, I wanted also to uh, to have this variation of geometry. The, this, this pavilion is not the same when it's really sunny. Uh, you put all 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 the awnings to be in the shadow, or, or you can open half of that, or or you cover it also when it's a little bit rainy. Uh, or, it's an adaptation to every every situations. So you put blankets on the on the on the lawn and uh, and, you, and you have picnic or you, or you sleep a little bit or you read a book or or you can uh, you can take uh, a drink with your friends and uh, so it's a, it's a very easy place. I said also when you see that from very far, I said that it's like a circus. No? <laughs> it's, it's, like a, yeah. <laughs> it's also it's not a circus also, but uh, but uh, no, it's just uh, to catch some sensations. I like to play with uh, red glass, with uh, red mirrors, with the sun through the materiality to see the red sun uh, uh, through the through That's the stained glass uh, to, to play with frisbees. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, nice play. You yeah. said you said to me on the uh, telephone yeah. the other day. It's a nice phrase. You said it in French, but you said it's some um, architecture en vacances. That was nice. That's a nice idea. Architecture having a holiday. Jean Nouvel talking to Jonathan Glancy. And you, you can see Jonathan with Jean Nouvel at the Serpentine Pavilion at guardian.co.uk slash video. Tim Maybe was the producer of today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening. Guardian Daily. News and reports from around the world.